Well, as a public speaker, I'm instructed at this point in time in my introduction to say something that will get your attention, and then I'm supposed to say something that will secure your interest. So I've got to gain your attention and then secure your interest. This morning I'm going to do it with one word, predestination. Got your attention, probably secured your interest because you're either thinking, awesome, I like that topic, or you're thinking, oh no, I don't like that topic, but you're interested. What's he going to say about it? I can't believe he said it in church, the P word. Well, this morning we are going to talk about the P word in church, predestination, because it's found in Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can find the New Testament book of Romans, and we're going to look at the 8th chapter today, where we find the predestination word. What we're doing this morning is we're wrapping up a series that we've done uh, called Jesus is Better. So we've looked at different passages. Normally we're in one book of the Bible going through verse by verse. Uh, We've taken the last five weeks or so uh, looking at different texts of Scripture, uh, and we've seen Jesus is better. And what I mean by that and what we've meant by that is we oftentimes know something about Jesus, like when we first become Christians or when we're not Christians. And then the more you learn and you more, the more you understand the Bible, the more you see that Jesus has accomplished things you didn't even know he accomplished. And Jesus is better than we first thought. Jesus is better the more you get to know him. And we're going to learn this morning from Romans chapter 8 that Jesus is certainly better than I thought he was when I first became a Christian. That Jesus... And his work on our behalf reaches back into eternity past and reaches forward into the future where we haven't even gone yet. In some ways, I would like to encourage you uh, with the fact that it's in Romans 8, and Romans 8 is in the context of suffering, difficulty, the ups and downs of life. It's not in Romans 8 to be controversial. It's never even meant to do that. It's in Romans chapter 8 and the things we'll see today because it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to comfort you. It's meant to motivate you and and have you realize just what a great Savior Jesus is. The Jesus who saves according to a plan that existed in eternity past and He saves all the way to the very end into the future. That's why we can trust Him. Jesus is better than I ever thought He was. So Romans 8 is our text. If you would go ahead and look with me, we'll go ahead and read verses 29 and 30. It says in verse 29, For those whom he, God in this context, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, there are a lot of multiple-syllable words in there, a lot of important words that have a lot of meaning. And we'll make it pretty simple this morning because we'll look at what many, many authors have said before me today. And that's we'll look at the five links in God's unbreakable chain. God has an unbreakable chain of redemption, of salvation, and there are five links in the chain, and it's unbreakable. Not only that, 
when there is a first link, there is a fifth link. It's very interesting to see God starts, God finishes what he starts. I don't know if you notice the emphasis on, on God in the passage. It's for us and for our benefit, those who believe in Jesus. But it was he, 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 I think eight times regarding the Father and one time regarding the Son. In other words, there, there are no uh, pat, pat fingerprints on the unbreakable chain of redemption because if there were pat fingerprints on it or your fingerprints, it could be broken. This is God working amazingly, powerfully from eternity past into eternity future. And that's how sure salvation is in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. It really is amazing. This is, this is the, the, the sort of thing that makes us uncomfortable sometimes because we're getting in touch with the fact that we're not God and we're not in charge. But I want to encourage you with the uncomfortability because it is uncomfortable, is actually what leads to ultimate comfort. Salvation is of the Lord. It's in His hands. Trust Him. This is where worship comes from as well. We're not talking about a God that we can manage or tame like one of our pets. No, He is God. But the good news is He's for us in Christ. He's not against us but he's probably more for you than you used to think. So, without further introduction, let's go ahead and look at link number one. Ready? Hope you're ready. Link number one is the word for new or for knowledge. God's unbreakable chain, first link is for new. Look there with me if you would in verse 29. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So we need to talk about what does it mean that God foreknew people? What is this? God foreknew. Well, let's make sure we understand everyone he foreknows It's all linked together. He also glorifies. So we're going to get to that, but it all fits together. I'll try to keep reminding you of that. Those whom he foreknew, God foreknew people. Well, at first glance, and maybe we're just trained this way as Americans, maybe we're just trained this way as sinners. But at first glance, we think that's referring to God foreseeing what we do. A lot of people read it that way. I I think I read it that way early on. But it doesn't say that. So I'll put my glasses back on so I can see. It doesn't say what he foresaw. It says whom, personal, he foreknew. And there's a huge difference. So if your default mode is to read into that or reread it, what he foresaw, Pat making the first move, Don't read it that way. It's not what it says. Those whom he foreknew. We need to talk about that a little bit. It's not foresight. God doesn't foresee actions, right? Look there. He foreknows people. I'll keep the quotes to a minimum here, but I do like this quote from James White's book, The God Who Justifies. English speakers tend to read into such terms as foreknown, the transparent meaning of the English word. But foreknowing is an action on God's part, something God 
does. It is not a passive element where God simply is sitting back and receiving knowledge of future events. At each time the term is used in the New Testament with God as the one doing it, it has invariably persons as the direct object of the verb. God foreknows people, not events. God's not passive in this passage watching what happens. No, God is the acting agent. He's foreknowing and he's foreknowing people. I've given a lot of my pastoral efforts trying to help people read it in light of what it says. It's a whole different ball of wax. If God looks and sees that we do something, so He responds. No, God acts in eternity past and does something. It's all about Him. And that's what keeps the links together. As a matter of fact, I don't want to spend too much time here, but, you know, I am a pastor, so we do these things. In light of Romans, if it were true that God were looking ahead to see what we would do, left all alone, on our own, in light of chapter 3, what would He see? Remember Romans chapter 3, no one does good, no, not one. That's Romans chapter 3. No one, and it's quoting Psalm 14, no one seeks God. So as the gentlemanly James Montgomery Boyce used to say before he went to heaven, it could be millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of years, God looking and waiting, and we never would initiate. Because no one does good, no, not one. No one seeks for God. Romans 3, quoting Psalm 14. No, we're not talking about that. God, before time, does something. He foreknows. It's a relational term borrowed from the Old Testament when someone would know someone. I'll just give you the PG version. So-and-so knew his wife. Okay? There's a love-affection kind of relationship. To put it negatively, remember in Matthew 7 where Jesus says to unbelievers, I never knew you. He's not saying, I never knew about you. I never knew you. I never had a a love relationship with you. This is why, uh, like some of you carry the ESV study Bible, it'll have a note there talking about how a good synonym would be for loved. He set his affection on us beforehand in eternity past. Wow. First, I'm uncomfortable, if that's true. And then, before I know it, once I can realize it's out of my hands and it's for me, I'm beyond comfortable. That God would set His affection to be for me is an amazing thing. Now, I know it's beforehand. I keep saying in eternity past, and you shouldn't take my word for it, but it's the, it's the time progression. Next is predestined, so it is beforehand. Uh, You could cross-reference to Ephesians chapter 1 before the foundation of the world. God has a plan. Jesus' plan didn't show up when he was born in Nazareth facing going to Calvary. Jesus is better than that. Reaching way back into time in the past. This has been the purpose. This has been the plan. Read Acts chapter 3. Read Acts chapter 4. Not right now, please. 
Jesus is better than we realize. Jesus is better than we realize. And one final reminder is, this is in the context of encouragement. Remember Romans 8.28? It's on every plaque ever sold in a Christian bookstore. Not really, but... Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love Him and those who have been called according to His purposes. Great text. Awesome text. Great reality that God works everything. Even the suffering talked about in Romans chapter 8. That's amazing to trust in God that even amidst the bad stuff, God is working if you're a believer. And you know what anchors it? 29 and 30. How could God be doing this? Because this God is the God who has a plan. It's an unbreakable plan and it goes all the way to glorification. So what you don't want to do is just have, you know, plaques. Because if you just have plaques, it's just like a ditty, right? It's just a motivational saying. Well, it'll all work out. You know, God works everything together. No, God is powerful and God has a purpose and He foreknew you if you're a believer. Your believing wasn't the start of it. What was the start of it is God foreloved way back when. He's a God I can trust even amidst the garbage. It's amazing. So let's now move to the second link. Now let's move to the second link. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also, what? Well, you just say it. Some of you don't even want to say it. It's in the Bible. I love talking to people who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in predestination. I'm like, what are you talking about? There it is. Even though some of you wouldn't say it. There it is. What does it mean? Well, I went to public school, but I can figure it out. Destination pre. This is the destination, and it's predetermined that we're going to reach the destination. Pretty straightforward. There it is. And God does this. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is what some pastors get fired over even reading in the Bible. I can't believe it. Denominations split over it and fight over it. It's crazy. It's meant to encourage us. It's meant to rock our little pea brains who don't know much about Jesus and realize, oh boy, he's a great savior. He's better than I thought he was. God is great in his grace and power that this is a destination that's been committed to ahead of time. I thought it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it all started there. Well, that really is true and it's really important, but then all of a sudden, the more you learn, you go, oh, this started a long long time before that. This God we're talking about is is not like my my buddy. He's, He's not like me. He's different. But He's for me. In Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing. Notice what we're predestined to to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers, fellow believers in His family, as our elder brother, if you will. 
And I would suggest to you, if, if, we don't, if we ignore this or we downplay it, we're ignoring the greatness of Christ. The predetermined plan is that you, even though you're a sinner on your own, would be conformed into the image of Christ, the firstborn, that resurrection terminology, because you're going to be raised with Him and restored. Awesome. Don't let anyone rob you of that. Let's not have let's let's not us be robbing Christ of his glory and his honor that he's a powerful savior that does this for people. And it wasn't just a plan that somehow, you know, they thought up along the way. Here's a good idea. No. This is predetermined. This is going to happen. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. We should keep moving on. Notice it's also, though, let's just sneak a peek ahead at verse 30. This ends with glorified and the unbreakable chain. So link number two is predestined, but link number five is glorified. And that means made perfect, made like Christ, resurrected. It's going to happen. That's what kind of Savior He is. I'm going to give you, I'm going to invite you to embrace the reality of predestination so that you can have comfort in sorrow and difficulty, so that you can have joy amidst it. You can give God honor, the kind of honor He would deserve to have. Don't let people take that away from you. Let's move on to the next one. Let's go to number three. Called, called. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, notice he goes back to connect them, he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. So we need to talk about that. By the way, I'm skipping objections and engagement with all those things. Years ago, we did a, a series in Ephesians 1, and I, I don't know how many objections I tried, tried to deal with and all the ins and the outs. We're going fast today. We're not trying to um, answer every question, and I don't know the answer to every question, by the way. But a lot of objections to predestination are just not helpful. The Bible teaches human responsibility. The Bible says you must believe. The Bible says these things. But we know, in light of what Jesus says, we believe because we belong to him and have belonged to him, John chapter 6. But we're not, we're not doing that today. We're just doing the fly-by version, okay? Um, go, go talk to people in the bookstore. They'd be happy to give you more reading material if you'd like. Um, read the Gospel according to John. It's the most predestinarian book in the whole Bible. Um, is that enough? Can we move on? There was a man who was a member of Omaha Bible Church when I first came to Omaha Bible Church. And he, just, he, he couldn't do it. He's like, I just can't do it. We got along well. He'd come to Bible study every Wednesday night. We'd talk and back and forth. And finally, one day, he said, I'm in. I'm like, what do you mean you're in? <laughs> He's like, I get it. 
It's like he prayed the prayer and asked predestination into his heart or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but he's like, I, I, I get it. I said, what is it? What, what made you go from no to yes? And he said, sin. Sin. What he meant by that was, when you look at the Bible and you look at what it says about who we are apart from Christ, it says things like, no one does good, no, not one. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2. And he said, if God were just foreseeing and looking ahead and he would respond to what I did, God would never respond because I would never do the right thing. I was thankful. Calling. What is calling? For God foreknows in eternity past. Then we... in the past, we have predestination. We know it's in the past. Ephesians 1 tells us it's in the past. Now we have calling. Calling is in the present, in my life, and in your life. Okay? There's two different kinds of calling in the Bible. One kind of calling is what Bible teachers call the general call. We call everyone to believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's Acts chapter 16. I tell anyone and everyone I possibly can, if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be justified. You will be forgiven. Romans chapter 10 would complement that. General calling. But that's not what he's talking about here because, think with me, does everyone that you tell to believe in Jesus believe in Jesus? No. But what's going on in Romans chapter 8 is everyone who has this kind of calling ends up glorified. They end up justified. So this is something that's beyond what we do in our general telling people the good news, which we do. This is something God does. And sometimes I think highly of myself, but I'm not that arrogant. You didn't get that. I'm not God. I can't call people to believe in Jesus and guarantee fact, have them believing and then being justified and glorified. This is something that He does. He calls people. Through the power of the Spirit, He calls people. Romans 8 is a lot about the Holy Spirit and not by accident. We could cross-reference mentally, let's do that, to go to John chapter 3 and Jesus talks about the work of the Spirit. First Peter, Peter talks about the Spirit and how God uses the Spirit and causes people to be born again. The Spirit does that. We're spiritually dead. The Spirit makes us alive. Holy Spirit calling. If you want to use a big word today to impress everyone at Chick-fil-A, know they're closed. Use the word effectual calling. It's effectual. It's effective. I tell everyone to believe in Jesus, but I'm not God. But the Holy Spirit, in the lives of those who, who were foreknown, predestined, He calls. Sometimes Bible teachers call it the internal call. This is something that we don't do externally, calling people to believe in Jesus, but it's something that happens by the power of the Spirit. Now, I'm telling you maybe more than you want to know, but what's interesting, when you put all the pieces together, God uses our general call, believe in Jesus, He does use that in the lives of those who have been foreknown and predestined, so that in time, at the right time, they do believe. That's why we preach Christ to everyone. 
As Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, said, you know, it's not as easy as just lifting up the back of people's shirts to see if it says, you know, E on it for elect. We don't know who the predestined are. So like him, we preach Christ to everyone. We preach Christ to everyone, knowing God will use that. But here's what's important, friends. We don't want to confuse God's role with our role. That's called manipulation. That's salesmanship. That's what happened in history with the quote-unquote great evangelists like Charles Finney. He confused his role with God's role, and so he could, I'm essentially quoting him now, he could, he could convert anyone. No. To the point where at the end of his life, he said, the majority of my converts are a disgrace to religion. We want to do our part, proclaiming the gospel to everyone, Romans 10. But God, make no mistake about it, effectively, effectually calls people. And those he has called will be justified. And they will be glorified. You can't make this stuff up. It makes Christianity unlike any religion on planet earth. Personal affectionate, according to plan, the God who has power to do these things, foreknowing, placing affection upon, predestining, can't even say it right, glad it's not my job, calling. If you're a Christian here today, you're believing in Jesus, you don't need to know all these things. You don't need to know these things to become a Christian. But if you're here today as a Christian, I'm telling you these things are true of you. And I want you to see Jesus as better than you even realized. Dangerously so. Dangerously so. I'm trying to decide to talk about Finney more or not. Probably not, right? He and those who surrounded him, they had what, they, 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 what was labeled the anxious bench. You just get people to listen to music for hours and hours and hours and come to a tent revival meeting and maybe it would go days in a row uh, and then before you know it, you would have them call, come forward for the altar call to come forward to the anxious bench. He would use all these things he called the new measures. We don't need that old theology about foreknown, predestined, calling, justified, glorified. No, I can convert people by new measures, new means, new methodologies. And so we have the altar call. And it ends disgracefully. I love to tell people about Jesus. I love to tell believers and unbelievers about Jesus and I have great confidence, Acts 13 says, that all those who had been appointed unto eternal life will believe. It's awesome. It's awesome. All those who've been appointed unto eternal life in Acts 13, I think it's verse 48, believed. So we preach, 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 preach. Knowing full well, there's this thing called foreknowing, predestining, calling, justifying, glorifying.
Okay, let's move to the next one. No more things about Finney. I think I'm going to, if I ever have another dog, I'm going to name my dog Finney. That's a great dog name. It just keeps things in perspective. No, I might love my dog too much to name my dog Finney. I think that's what they used to do in olden times. They're arch rival theologians, you know, people who didn't like Martin Luther, they'd name their dog Luther. I think I love my dog too much. Finney. Maybe a gerbil would be named. Never mind. My, sorry, I keep my day job. Um, let's go to number four, justified. We can do this one quickly because we've been talking about this lately on Sunday mornings. But it does say in verse 29, let's go ahead and look at the whole thing. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified justified ever so quickly. It's super important, but we've been talking about a lot lately, and I want to keep us moving. To be justified, it's, it's legal, it's courtroom, and if the judge justifies you, he declares you righteous. He declares you an obeyer of God's law. That's what justification is. And the Bible says in Romans, we've seen it other days, chapter 5, chapter 8, earlier on, that if we're justified, we have peace with God. Here's my question for you. How do you get justified? Sounds like some charismatic preacher thing. I've been justified, right? No. How do you get justified? That just sounds terrible. How does one become justified? That sounds better. Christ's righteousness, that's right. And how does Christ's righteousness become ours? The Bible is so clear in Romans. You believe. You believe. Believe and you're justified. Believe you're justified. That's Romans 1. That's Romans 3. That's Romans 4. That's Romans 5. It's all over the place. It's in the Old Testament as well, starting in Genesis. So we trust in Jesus and His work, His benefits, the things He accomplished, those things are credited to us so that God can look at Pat, a sinner, and declare me righteous even though I'm not. Okay, That's why Romans chapter 4 says God justifies the ungodly by faith in Jesus, the godly. Super important. So right now, if you're believing in Jesus, God sees you, I kid you not, as if you had no sin, totally forgiven, and as if you'd done everything right your whole life. That's why we call it amazing grace, justified. But what I want you to see is justification, though it happens because you believe in Jesus. Okay? There's a lot behind it. Justified, oh, Holy Spirit calling. Faith happens in the middle there, by the way, because you're dead in trespasses and sins, and the Holy Spirit makes us alive, calls us. Then we believe to be justified. Okay, justified, but we've got to back up. Maybe the justified is that's where I have decided to follow Jesus, right? I really had to believe, and I did believe. 
There's no salvation apart from, for, apart from believing. So justification, but behind that is calling, effectual Holy Spirit calling that leads to faith, that leads to justification. Then we back up and then we have predestination. And then we back up when we have God foreknowing us. Jesus is better than I knew. There's a lot going on. And then finally, and then finally, we have glorification. 1120, can't believe it. I just want you to know I have 47 pages of notes today. (laughs) I never would have told you that at the beginning or half of you would have left. I usually have 12 pages of notes, which some of you would say are too many. 47 pages of notes. It's because it's three sermons all put together. And we're going to get done, okay? Quickly. Yes. Thankful. Glorification is what happens when you reach the destination, the ultimate destination. Uh, A synonym would be perfection, okay? Listen to these verses and it might help. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 regarding the resurrection... It says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. There's a synonym for our glorified word. Imperishable. New, new life, resurrected life. Verse 43 of 1 Corinthians 15. It is sown in dishonor. It was raised in glory. See, resurrection, imperishable, glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Glory, power. Imperishable. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. So glory would be referring to the imperishable, the powerful, the spiritual body. It's what we're waiting for. And it's what we're waiting for in the future. When we, according to 1 John, we just studied 1 John, we see Christ, resurrection. We're made like Him. We're glorified. No more struggling, no more difficulty, no more suffering, glory. But what I want to make sure you understand, Jesus is better than we realize. It does say glorify, duh, right? Because if his work is done and his work is for me, and it started even according to a plan that started before time began, glorified, duh, is as good as done even though I haven't experienced it yet. But because I'm united to Christ by faith, it's as if I've experienced it. It's an absolute sure thing that I'll experience it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. See, this is what Isaiah the prophet has in mind when he's looking forward, prophesying about Jesus and his substitutionary work on the cross. And he talks about uh, Jesus there in Isaiah 53, maybe the most popular prophecy you can imagine, and it says, by his stripes, his wounds, his sacrifice, we are healed. Yeah. And he's not talking about wealth, health, and prosperity preachers on TBN. You're as good as glorified because... In the purposes of God, (laughs) you are glorified. It's absolutely amazing. Amazing. 
Sometimes non-charismatic people get all nervous about that and they say, well, we don't really believe that. Let me encourage you to start believing that. Isaiah the prophet, Paul the apostle, don't have in mind, if you just have enough faith, then you won't suffer anymore. Because you know, you've got to claim the blood. By his stripes you're healed. No, it's not talking about that at all. It's not talking about the kind of healing you may experience by God's grace, because that could be, only to get a different disease and die one day. No, glorified, duh. Healed, resurrected. I told the story before, I'll tell it again, but I, I, I remember when I first met Emmett Champion. Emmett Champion was a deacon here, and he is not able to come very often because of his health. Sometimes in the wheelchair he'll be here. But when I first met Emmett, he was coming out of kind of a charismatic kind of background. Too much TBN watching kind of stuff. And he said, you know, Pastor, I just keep you know, believing God for my healing. I just want my healing. I just need my healing. And it was just so good to know him well enough to say, Emmett, you can keep praying. I will pray. God may heal you temporarily through the medicine at the, do- uh, at the hospital or various means, or he could do so supernaturally. But I need you to realize and know, Emmett, that you have been healed the way the Bible talks about. Not in some kind of Christian science way that you're not really sick now. You really are sick now. But because Jesus is better than he was taught, and Jesus has been raised from the dead, by his stripes you are healed. Guaranteed, no matter what, absolutely tractor beam certainty. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he also called, he also justified, he also (laughs) glorified. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And it's all the work of God. It's all the work of God. This is how we can say, we know, Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who believe in Him and who have been called according to His purposes. So, we know these things. Not because of how we feel, because we might feel terrible. Not because of our immediate circumstances, because he's going to go on to talk about persecution in Romans chapter 8 and all kinds of bad things. But we know things because we know that Christ died on the cross and was raised again from the dead on behalf of everyone he represented. And those he represented were those who in eternity past were born known, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Pretty good. Beyond pretty good. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Should we pray? I think we probably should. Father, thank you so much for the great glorious reality of something that is beyond what we can fully comprehend, but it's certainly not beyond something we can understand. 
We're grateful to know that you are the God who doesn't make people savable. And we are thankful that you are the God of salvation, the one who secures a perfect redemption, that you adopt us into your family because of the virtues of Christ, and you make us your own, and you give us all of the benefits of belonging, and even a certainty with what lies beyond the grave. May we live our lives now full throttle. May we live our lives with with great boldness and certainty about the future for the glory of Christ in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.